Hello there, nerds. Welcome to the first ever episode of The Swim Nerd Show, a podcast about swimming. Um, this first episode, we got to sit down with Coach Don Regenbogen, currently of Aquaquan, formerly of QDD, the Quantico Devil Dolphins. Don was lucky enough to get to Coach Jeff Rouse as an age group swimmer, and uh, <clears throat> Jeff Rouse is our first a.k.a. Uh, history project that we're working on. And um, so h- here we go. Uh, enjoy. Hello. Hello. Coach Don. Yes, Nate. Thank you. It finally worked, huh? Yeah, I had to get my children and my daughter's boyfriend to figure it out. <laughs> Well, I I'm think not it was technology a bit, minded. I'm the same way. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I was like, uh, I don't really know how this is going to work. This is really <laughs> the first time, but uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, thanks for having, uh, uh, you know, taking the time and, and, and coming on our, our very first podcast. No uh, problem. What we really want to do is, um, is just tell the stories uh, uh, of swimming history. Okay. So when did you actually start coaching Jeff? I probably started coaching him when he was uh, 11, 11, 12, age group. For QDD? Yes. So did you know, like, right away this kid was just a far and, and, a, and above a talent? Um, I, I, I knew he had a lot of talent, but, you know, at the ages of 11 and 12, you try not to get carried away with what you say or – you just try to keep, uh, just try to introduce the training and then just build on it over the years. And that's what we were able to do. And Jeff was just so down to earth, you know, he, you would never know what he's accomplished unless you knew him or he, or he spoke about it. You know, he just, there was never an, an ego with Jeff period. Yeah. He, um, he, I've watched a lot of videos and, his interviews, he seems like a very uh, um, even-keeled, very focused uh, guy. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, I, I, I can't wait to interview him because I'm interested on his opinion on certain people. I, you know, like I think as a, as a fan, you, you think like, you know, it's, it's Jeff Rouse versus Mark Tewksbury or or, or whoever, right? But it's right. it seems like when you when you listen to him talk about it, it was just Jeff Rouse versus Jeff Rouse. Right. Um, Jeff Rouse, as Jeff got older, there was another swimmer in the group that was older than Jeff by a year or two. Bill Ripple was his name, and Bill Ripple Bill Ripple was probably the hardest workout swimmer that I co- ever coached. And and uh, there was a whole group of boys that were friends, but Jeff learned a lot of of how to train hard and how to train from Bill Ripple, and they were very close friends. And, and uh, it just and then when Bill graduated, Jeff still had two years to go, um, and uh, obviously there wasn't anyone equal to his ability to train, but. Um, he was he was able to do whatever I gave him to do in order to get faster. What 
I guess in terms of, of training, how did how did you guys decide to, to progress Jeff from an 11-year-old age grouper up until, you know, you, you basically uh, got him sent out to Stanford to go work with Skip and Ted? Um, did you guys lift weights? Did you do dry lands? Were you doing doubles? Uh, yes, not at the early age, not at the age of 11 and 12. I would say that when Jeff uh, turned, when Jeff was 13, 14, then uh, we started to do some doubles. Um, there was a point when Jeff was a sophomore. I, I, the, tr the training just evolved as he got older. You know, I was able to challenge him on a daily basis uh, with things that we did, w with things that he was doing. But when he was a sophomore um, and he was in PE, he fractured his wrist jogging backwards on the track in gym class with his friends. <laughs> and he was eight weeks away from going to the first uh, world championship trials. And it was also at that time when they'd started the Goodwill Games. So we kicked for eight weeks. Wow. And, he, and um, I just kicked him as hard as I could, doing various types of sets and underwater kicks with fins, without fins, stuff like that. Um, we might have even done some vertical kicking with uh, with some weights, depending on what he could hold up above his shoulders. And um, he's, he's, he swam extremely well. He just missed making one or both of the teams. Uh, he went best times. And he uh, after the meet, he said his legs never felt so strong. Um, his senior year, uh, he wanted to break a couple of national age group records in backstroke. And so he told me that he would do whatever I asked him to do in order to try to accomplish that. So we went four mornings and five afternoons and Saturdays. And um, I came up with some, uh, we, we trained on the Marine base at Quantico and their pool had a, uh, like a 10 meter tower that the Marines had to jump off of. Sure. And, and so I rigged up uh, like a Home Depot bucket and a rope went up over the top of the tower and I took uh, bicycle tire tubes and made a like a seat belt and um, put weights in the bucket and so he would swim to the other end of the pool and he would pull the weight up over the tower to the other end and so we did a lot of that in the morning and we did um, I used surgical tubing the same idea uh, attached um, bicycle tire tubes to the tubing and the tubing around the bicycle tire tubes around his waist. And it was about um, the tubing was long enough so that he could, with effort, he could get to the other end of the pool. And we would do a lot of swimming sets uh, for fifties and hundreds using the tubing. How old was Jeff when he made his first Olympic team in 92? Was he, he still was, in he was a he was a sophomore in high school, fifteen or sixteen. So you got to go to Barcelona with him. No, he didn't. No, I didn't go to Barcelona. No, I watched it on television in my living room with half my team. That's awesome. <laughs> I bet you that's a pretty proud moment, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, anything Jeff did, um, I. I was happy for him, proud, you know, 
I'd like to think that Jeff helped make me this coach that I am versus me being the coach that helped make Jeff. He doesn't agree with me, but, you know, when you have talented swimmers, especially someone like that, if you're not completely ignorant and you just give them a, a certain level of work, they just tend to keep getting better because you don't have to motivate them. They're motivated to want to do it. So I read somewhere that he really enjoyed training backstroke and that he would do uh, the majority of his practices backstroke. Is that true or false? Um, I would say after his sophomore year, uh, we probably started to do more things backstroke. But pretty much whatever I had the whole group do, Jeff also did it. So if it was a 400 IM set, Jeff did it 400 IM. So um, I like to have them swim their specialty. And in his case, uh, because that was where his emphasis was, I'd say his junior and senior year, 50% of practice was backstroke. Wow. That is a lot. When you watch his, his tapes, uh, his underwater dolphin kick is ridiculously good. Yes. When he was um, at the time where the dolphin kick was expanding in terms of length underwater, um, he could kick, uh, he could kick 50 meters, the whole length underwater backstroke without a nose plug and be like 28 or 27. I mean, he just he just had that incredible propulsion and power in his legs and feet. I mean, his feet were almost 14 feet. Yeah, he's you know? a pretty big guy. Right. So, I mean, he could just – he could kick. His best short course meter, 100, just kicking, um, was a 107. And that's pretty quick. And that's – that's like doing dolphin kicks and then flutter kicking and then doing dolphin kicks off every yep. ball again. Yeah, and probably when he did that around his sophomore year uh, or junior year, he wasn't going as far as he was going underwater. So, you know, that was without the, uh, say, going 20, 20 meters underwater. Yeah. That Those were the days of David Burkoff and – yeah. You know, he ended up going to Stanford and I think Jay Mortensen was another one. Right. Um, who who I think broke the world record at one point because he kicked almost the entire thing. Yeah, in the uh 1988 Olympic trials. Well, uh when we went to senior nationals that spring before the Olympic trials in the summer, uh Jeff um swam next to Burkhoff in the uh, in the morning of the hundred back. And so they finished one, two, but when Jeff came up from underwater, he was at Burkhoff's, uh, maybe his, uh, rib cage. And that was the distance between the two of them for the whole race. So at night we talked about if you can come up off your, off your start and come off your turn and be equal with Burkhoff you have a chance to beat him. And so they, they ended, uh, Burkhoff ended up winning, but by a couple tenths. 
and they both went 55 high. And uh, at that point in time, they were the number one and two seeds in the, in the world, time-wise. Hmm. So when we went to Olympic trials, you know, it, the Olympic trials is sort of like, uh, think of a super, super thick fog. It's like you need a knife to cut through it. It's so intense. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about a senior in high school who is going to Stanford and the meet was in Seoul. And so, you know, he's just a young kid. Jeffrey um, started to think to himself, well, gee, if I were to make the Olympic team, you know, I'd have to miss my starting time at Stanford. And I don't know if I want to do that. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason why, but he ended up swimming his 200 back, uh, more like 100 in terms of taking it out too fast. Right. And, and his 100 back ended up taking it out more like a 200. So, you know, I mean, it's all about the experience, you know, and he had his head in a little bit of a different place with uh, going off to college and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really. I mean, experience is so is so critical. It's the thing you right. can't you can't you can't just uh, you know read about it. You actually got to experience right. it. But I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if he'll remember or whatever, when you know after individuals win their races or whatever, they they go in and they have a little press conference with them, and. Jay Mortensen ended up being second, his uh, Stanford, his future, well, his Stanford teammate for the future. Right. And, um, but in that uh, press conference, Burkhoff never once mentioned um, Jeff as being a threat or, you know, or how close this kid was to me at senior nationals or anything like that. And that lit a fire, I think, under Jeff for his freshman year, um, at Stanford because he wanted to get, get to NCAAs and beat Burkhoff. Sure. I'm pretty sure he did that his freshman year, but um, that upset him more than not making the team. This is great stuff. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I'm like nerdy now. I'm just loving and just listening. Um, I think he, uh, I think he actually won three NCAA titles in the hundred back, but he did lose to Burkhoff and, as a freshman in 1989. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure he beat him, but he would know best. Yeah, we'll, f we'll figure it out. So, um, uh, it, it, everything I read after he lost to Tewksbury in 1992, he basically just came right out the gate and said, I'm training for four more years. It, and you said you were watching him on TV. Did you get to talk to him on the phone from across the world back in 1992, or did you have to wait until he got home? Or yeah, I didn't get I didn't get to talk to him. I forget. I I probably talked to him. May have talked to him when he when he got back to the states and he came home or uh, came home. Um, we ended up when when uh, when QDD. Uh, refurbished a, a pool. They named it the Jeff Rouse pool. So they had Jeff come up, um, you know, had the mayor and stuff like that. And so we may have, it might've been around that time that we, we talked or whatever, but the one thing, and um, 
you know, the one thing that he, that all athletes, but even and even elite athletes, you can tell when they're nervous, or you can tell when uh, they're just not sure, or when they swim that special race, they take it out in a way that's not relaxed. And so even from even just even from from uh, Barcelona on television, I could tell that he was trying too hard the first 50 to sprint and he wasn't relaxed with his stroke. And so, you know, when they came off the turn, they pretty much started to uh, cling to each other on the lane rope. And I think that um, due to Jeff's um, effort um, of trying to go too fast and unrelaxed, he, he paid the price at the end. And the biggest thing that he told me afterwards when we when we finally got together at some point after Barcelona um, <clears throat> was that he did an introspection, you know, and uh, <clears throat> he announced that he was going to go another four years. But he was looking at those four years as a journey, learning about Jeff Rouse. Uh, not so much. I mean, I know he was going for the four years to try to see if he could come home with the gold. But, you know, I think the four years was also um, a mental journey, you know, and during those four years, he never lost a hundred backstroke race, but yet when he went to Atlanta, there were still, there was still some skepticism by some people just because when you get to that biggest moment, that's right. Can you step up and come through with it? Four straight years of not losing is a pretty impressive track record, though. Right. <clears throat> now, the thing about Barcelona, too, was that he fortunately had a number of his Stanford teammates on the, on the, uh, on the team. Um, one of them was Pablo Morales, who didn't make it in 88, who missed every event that he swam at finals. But in Barcelona, the next day, they had to swim the 400 medley relay. So you can only imagine when you come away with the silver, at which you know is no, uh, which is nothing to hold, lower your head about. Uh huh. Um, he spent a long, long time, maybe part of the night, you know, just talking with Pablo, and um, he ends up turning around, and I guess in finals he breaks the world record going out on the relay. Fifty-three-eight. Yep. So you know. The relays always bring out something different and most in most and most athletes because uh, you, you when you're on a relay you're not thinking about anything except trying to go fast and not be the person to lose it for the relay and no. he always he always had a way to get up for relays so Jeff wins in 96 and he's and and he went through this crazy journey and he's done it He's re retired. He's going out on top again. He he makes a comeback. Years later, was he? Did he come back and swim at Stanford for that comeback? Yes. So he was swimming with uh, Skip and Ted. I think he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, he went back out there. Did you talk to him at all about coming yeah, out of retirement and? 
I didn't talk to him about coming out of retirement. I we um, I forget what it was. We got together or something, talked on the phone. I can't quite remember. But he he was looking for something to do physically, and lifting weights wasn't what he wanted to do, or going out and run. So he got back in the pool at the Y, and uh, he said his stroke, his stroke still felt great. Felt like it never, it felt like it was before. Um, so he started to tinker, I think, in his head with the idea of trying to make a comeback. Um, and then he went out, the, he went out, I think he had two years or maybe just a little bit less than two years to get ready. And um, obviously at the age of 35, it takes your body a little bit longer to, uh, to get back to where it was. And so after the, the, those Olympic trials, where he still went 54 middle or 54 low, um, when that competition was over, and again, I forget when we talked, he said, he said, uh, now I feel like I'm in shape to start training. So the two years of preparation before the trials really was a time period for him to deal with uh, shoulder you know, shoulder injuries he might have incurred, nothing serious, but shoulder injuries and pulled muscles and things like that. But by the time the trials came, he was starting to feel like he was in shape to really begin the process of training. So it, it just goes to, sh it just goes to show all of us, you know, that we don't know everything that's going behind the curtain. Of course not. You know? Yeah. And um, I think we, we just know, found we, that out with uh, Caleb Dressel this summer. Right. Um, you know, they perform and maybe we get a little disappointed because we were hoping they might squeak, squeak on the team. But at the same time, two years of working to get in shape to swim at the trials and he can make the comment, now I feel like I'm ready to start practicing. Right. It's just amazing. Right. He, so it goes, it goes, just goes to show you, you don't know how long it takes. He went faster in semifinals than he did in prelims. And then he went faster again in finals. Um, uh, I think. Pearsall and Kraselberg obviously won. And then a couple more Stanford guys, you know, younger Stanford right. guys, 10, 12 years younger, Peter Marshall and Randall Ball were there too. So, uh, and, I, and a young Matt Grievers was in that final who just yeah. ended up beating 15 years um, his senior. Yeah. Um, just an amazing career. It's an amazing guy in, you know, in Virginia, uh, that's why we kind of wanted to start out, uh, might as well interview uh, a homegrown legend. All right, Coach Don, well, thanks for coming on the, uh, the, the initial Swim Nerd show, and uh, we'll catch up real soon. Yeah, no problem, Nate. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk. Bye. All right, bye-bye. I wanted to share a review that we received on Facebook with you from Coach Mike. He writes, In today's world, it's difficult to find folks that will go the extra mile. Look no further than Swim Nerd. Outstanding every step of the way, and their product is a big time value. When our other clocks need replacing, I'll be ordering all of them through Swim Nerd. Awesome company, awesome product, awesome service.